You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Sorry to interrupt your conversations. Feel free to still stay in line and grab some coffee. But um, I'm going to get started this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and so glad that you're joining us. Uh, so uh, happy to have you here. Students, especially, you're back. We're so glad to have our college students back with us. And if you're visiting for the first time, I hope you know that we love that you're here and really, uh, really pray that you'll feel welcomed and encouraged in your time with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing a series, a sermon, a four-part sermon series that we began last week that we're calling, as you can see, uh, Abide. Uh, life with God. It's kind of what the series is about. I know the word abide is a word that we don't use often, but it, uh, in this sense, it, it just means to, what's up, Damien? Thanks for that. Uh, the word abide really just means to remain or dwell or like continue in a state or like a relational state with someone. In this case, we're talking about abiding, remaining, dwelling with God. And that's the uh, wild thing. I said this last week. It's one of the most wild truths revealed by God in Scripture is that uh, He wants to be with you. Like, just pause on that. Like, sink that, think, like the, let that sink in for a second. That the Creator, that the all-powerful, holy, majestic God wants to be with you. And not only does he want to be with you, but he's willing to pay an incredible cost in order to make it possible to be with you. That, that God would not only created us so that we could be with him, but when we went our own way, we turned our back on God. We decided to try to do life apart from God. God didn't just say, okay, well, done with you. No, he came after us. And that Jesus paid the price, though it was of incredible cost. To make the way to be with us. I shared this verse, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. I shared it last week, share it again. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. For what purpose? To bring you to God. To bring you to God. Like God wants to be with you. How much? Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous to, to make it possible. See, guys, um, just right out of the, the, the gate here in the sermon series, we want everyone to know the, most, the, the, the crucial element, the foundation of the Christian faith is this, that God has made the way for you to be in a relation with him. He's, the, that way is through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died in your place for your sins as your payment, he made the way for you to enter into a relation with him through faith, just simply believing that Jesus truly did that for you. And if you believe that, that's all, it's just belief. If you believe that he did that, you are promised. You're brought into a relation with God. You're reconciled with God. You become a child of God. You're adopted into the family of God. You're in the relationship. Incredible. But who wants to just stay in a relationship and then stay distant within that relationship? Like no one, you, you don't do that. It's not like I met Krista and then I thought, okay, hey, will you go on a date with me? And she says, yes. And then it's like, okay, great. And then we're in the date, but we don't ever talk. It's like, we're kind of in a relationship, but we're never talking. We're never interacting. I mean, that's, that's silly, right? I mean, it's completely stupid. 
Well, guys, it's the same thing with God. We enter into a relationship through Jesus, but God says, hey, I don't want to just be in a relationship with you. I want to have a deep, intimate, like relationally close relationship with you. I want to, as God, do life with you. I want you to really know me. I want you to really trust me. I want us to have a close, abiding relationship together. And that's what this series is about, that that's the kind of life that's the kind of a relationship we are invited to have with God, to abide with him, to deeply know him, to do life with him. But here's the thing. Um, there are obstacles to abiding. Like You enter into the relationship with, with God through Jesus, but to, in order to continue to get to know God and do life with him, there are things that get in the way of that, that have to be overcome in order to really abide with God, to really get to know him and really do life with him. Last week, we talked about one of the biggest ones that we all experience. It's the obstacle of busyness, right? Today, we're going to talk about another key obstacle that has to be overcome if we're going to do life with God. We're going to abide with God, remain in a deep relation with God. And that's the obstacle of pride. See, when the Bible speaks of pride... It could speak of it in a positive sense, right? There's, a, there's certainly a form of pride that's good. But the Bible also speaks about pride or someone who is proud in a negative sense. And when, the, when it does that, it's always talking about a, someone who shifts ultimate confidence from God to self. Now, a proud person says, okay, I don't really need God. I can do life on my own. Now, in contrast to that in Scripture, you, you, you see uh, the characteristics of a humble person. And a humble person is someone who recognizes that they are dependent upon God, that they realize, I need God. And I certainly, I think that it kind of goes without saying, but we can recognize that someone who re realizes that they're dependent on someone is going to be driven to be with that person, Right? But if you don't think you need them, then that's going to not, that's certainly not going to help drive you together. He's like, well, I'll see you whenever I see you. But a dependent person is like, no, I need you. I want to be with you. And that, would, that can drive abiding. I was reminded of this, or kind of when I think about this, a um, uh, story that comes to mind is a time when um, about two years ago, my family went to Disney World. We uh, had uh, this incredibly gracious gift from, from a friend of Krista's that uh, gifted us five nights at a Disney World resort. And so it was, I mean, it was amazing. So we get to go to Disney World, which is a trip we never thought we would be able to do with our kids. And uh, they are pumped up. And one of the days we get to go to Magic Kingdom, right? And so I've got three kids. At that time, they were eight, eight, and just turned five. And so um, we were at Disney World, Magic Kingdom, doing all the rides. And one of the rides we did was this ride called, uh, like, the Tomorrowland Speedway, I think it was called. And it's basically like go-karting, right? But you, you have, uh, you get to, you know, kids get to drive the cars. And my son, Enoch, who was eight, he, he was super, super excited about, to, about this ride. And he was just begging to get to drive one of the cars all by himself. And I said, son, well, why, why do you think, like, you've never done, you've never driven a car by yourself? Why do you think you can do that? And he's like, dad, you don't understand. You know how I beat you in Mario Kart all the time? I've got this. I'm like, oh, all right, all right. So we get up in the line, and then there's, you know, height requirement, and he just misses the height, the, the height that he has to be to be able to be in a car all by himself. And so he's devastated, right? But I say, hey, I'm going to, E, I'll get in the car with you, 
I won't even talk to you. You drive, you can pretend I'm not there. And and that starts helping him feel better and makes me feel a lot worse because that's what he's like, I don't even want you to be with me. But I said, all right. So we get in this car. He's behind the steering wheel. He's going to drive this. I'm just there acting as if I'm not there. And he takes off. And uh, I think I got a picture of this, what this looks like. See, uh, this is the actual thing. And you see this rail, like the car's sit on this rail, and the rail keeps them in the lane, so there's some, some area to drift, but if you drift too far, you hit this rail, it bounces you back, and then it bounces you left, bounces you right, so <laughs> he can't for the life of him get this car to go straight. I mean, it is like, uh, I mean, it, like for about a full minute, literally, I'm not exaggerating, all we're doing is going boom, 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 like, I mean, back and forth, and I'm trying not to laugh, I'm just trying to pretend that I'm not even there, and he's getting more and more frustrated, and finally, he says, Dad, will you just help me? <laughs> sure, buddy, and I lean over and try to get the uh, wheel to go straight. It was actually harder than I thought it would be, but we managed to finally get the car to go straight, and um, I get off that ride, and I'm just thinking, now, that is, that is a pretty accurate picture of how I live at times where I just am so confident in my own ability to navigate life that I rarely recognize that I truly need God. I'm just set on, I got this, so I don't need, but God is there with me at all times. He's there with you at all times, and you just cry out, I need you. He's like, I'm here. I want to help you, but we, we rarely do that, and we end up careening from rail to rail to rail until finally it's like things get so bad. We're like, God, why did your help? Like, God, I've been here the whole time. See, here's what I think. I could be wrong, but my guess is that for most Christians, and if you're not a Christian, you're here exploring faith, then, uh, you know, you might not, this might not be your experience. That's great, but you, you, it's probably helpful for you to know that this is a lot of Christians' experience. And for Christians trying to follow Christ, oftentimes, it's not that we don't want to be with God. It's just that we don't really feel like we need him on a day-to-day basis. And that will keep us from depending on him. This morning, what I want to talk on is I want to just hit on why we need to be dependent on God. And I want us to look at an example in Scripture of someone who was incredibly dependent on God, that we can learn from his example and what he has to say about what dependence looks like and what results from it. So that's where we're going to go this morning, all in hopes that this will help drive in us a hunger to be with God. All right, so let's uh, jump in with this first idea, our need for dependence, our need for dependence. And as I, as I kind of just alluded to, I, I don't think that it's that we um, don't think, or as Christians, that we would, you know, we don't think that we, you know, don't need God. I think most Christians would say yes to the, to the statement. Like, do you, do you, should you be dependent on God? Do you need God? Everyone would be like, yeah, yeah. But here's what I find is that unless you actually feel like you need God, then you will not depend on God. So you can cognitively state, yeah, I, I need God. But unless you feel it, you won't actually do anything about that statement. Right? I mean, it's kind of like food, right? Where you, you, you know you need to eat, but when do you eat? Well, 
I wish this was true for me all the time, but you're supposed to eat only when you're hungry, right? <laughs> and so, or sad. Is that, is that one? You can do that. But no, you, you feel hunger, hunger, and then you eat. Well, guys, the same thing is true when it comes to depending on God. You know you need to do it, but you don't really do it unless you feel the need to do it. And let's be honest. And the modern-day comforts of life, yeah. If you've got some money in the bank, you've got a job, you have family, you have friends, you have a place to live, you've got a TV with Netflix or whatever, like these things can cause us to really grow numb to the fact that we need God. Isn't that not true? I mean, how often can you, and, and I'm guilty of this, like wake up, get dressed for the day, head off to work or school, come back home, eat dinner, Turn on the TV, go to bed, and not one single time feel your need to be dependent on God. But there are two things that I've learned, and God's graciously taught me over, over time, that, that when I am clued into, really help drive my realization for my need for God. That really make me feel a need for God. I want to just share those with you right now. The first one is this, that I'm aware of my need for God, my need for him, whenever I am seeking to uh, reflect his character and how I'm interacting with others, right? You You ever feel that? Like if you're saying, okay, in my interactions, whether at work or family, friends, wherever you are, if I'm aware, like I'm not just trying to get through this conversation or just get through work or just try to appease people, but I'm actually trying to reflect what God is like, his character, like his agape love. We talked about that about a month ago, right? This sacrificial service that's unconditional on behalf of another. When I'm trying to reflect that kind of love, his love for my family, for my friends, Man, all of a sudden, I realize I need God because I don't have that kind of love to give in and of myself. Or whenever I'm seeking to forgive someone who has hurt me, gosh, just as God's forgiven me when I have offended him far in far more worse ways, and I need God. Or when I'm seeking to be generous, like God is generous, and, and, and find my security, not in how much money I have, but in the God who owns it all, man, I end up really recognizing my need for him in order to be generous. When, when we seek to reflect, I think I have this, this up here, when we seek to reflect God's character and how we interact with others, we will fill our need for God. There's another thing that helps drive my awareness of my need for God I want to offer you. And that is this, that when we seek to partner with God in what he's doing in the world, we'll also really feel our need for him. Like knowing that what God is doing, he's at work to fill the earth, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, that he has gone to great lengths through Christ's death and resurrection to make the way for people to be reconnected, reconciled to him, and that that's what he's doing in the world. Whenever I, and if you are ever to, say, okay, I want to be a part of that, Jesus. I want to partner with you in that, God. I want to help get that message, the gospel message, out to others by demonstrating your love to others, by declaring, by communicating your love to others that I'm in. I'm going to try to do that. 
all of a sudden, if you've ever done that, you know this is true. All of a sudden, you feel, oh, man, that's scary. I need God. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's so healthy for us as church family, that our vision, you heard Rob say it earlier, you see it on this sign, like what we have said we're about as a church, what we're committed to do is that we're seeking to see the day when every man, woman, and child in all of Austin and beyond hears the gospel from someone who loves them. And if you say, I'm about that, I'm going to join when God, what, God, what God is doing in the world, then that is going to be so good for others, for our city, for your friends and family members, coworkers and classmates and roommates. It's so good for them and it's so good for you because all of a sudden you become aware of how much you need God. So those things drive an awareness of our need for God, which then drives us to depend on him and to abide with him. But the problem is, we, we regularly live that way. That's not our normal pattern, isn't it? And so we so just can easily get in the rut of saying, okay, I'm just working for the weekend. I'm <laughs> just trying to get through to where I can relax and be comfortable and have fun. And it's like, no. We, we miss that this is what we've been created to do and called to do and invited to do. But I'll tell you, there's some, one person who lived who got this and modeled this for us perfectly. Who do you think was the most dependent person who's ever lived? Now, you're in church, and I just said he did it perfectly, and so you know the, like, the answer is Jesus. I was going to say Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is always the answer in church, the safe answer, right? But think about that. Like, seriously, like, take a minute and just let that sit for a second. Jesus is the most dependent person of all time. Jesus is the most dependent person of all time. I don't know about you, but, like, that's wild to me. Because of all the people who have ever lived, I would think that Jesus would be the one person that was actually qualified to not be dependent. That he being, you know, God the Son, is like, I got this. You know, I'm God. So, you know, I don't need anybody else. So you would think that that would be his attitude. But that was not his attitude. He was in Scripture, in the Gospels, in the, the, the records of Jesus' life, what you see is that over and over and over again, he talked about how dependent he was on the Father and the Spirit. For example, let me sh- just show a couple of these up here for you. In John chapter 5, he says this, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. Like hard stop. What? What? It goes on. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Hey, Jesus, what are you doing this afternoon? Mm, Got to get to the father to find that out. Whatever he's doing, that's what I'm doing. I just do what the father does. I do nothing by myself. I mean, what a wild statement. Well, here's another one. John chapter 12. Jesus says this. I did not speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. 
Like, that's hard to believe. Like, Jesus, you're saying that you only say what the Father tells you to say. Yeah, that's right. See, my words are not my own. I'm just going to say what the Father says. But you only do what the Father see, you see the Father doing. Yeah, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I'm fully dependent on him. He sums that up all together in John 14, 10. Here's what he says. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Okay, Jesus, so you only do what you see the Father doing. You only say what the Father's told you to say. And the power by which you do that is not your own power, but it's the Father who's in you doing his work through you. Because I, I think that covers all the bases. Fully dependent on the Father. But <laughs> it doesn't stop there for Jesus. Because Jesus also tells us and those gospel accounts of his life show us that he was also fully dependent on the Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. That in Scripture, I mean, just I don't have time to go over all of the passages, so let me just kind of read this out for you. But in Scripture, he says, um, or we're told that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's Matthew one twenty. He was full of the Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. That's Luke four one. He cast out demons by the Holy Spirit, that's Matthew 12, 28, and that he gave instructions by the Holy Spirit, that's Acts 1, 2. And that just to highlight this, when Jesus began his public ministry and he gave the very first sermon, public sermon, he shows up at a synagogue, he walks up. He asked for a scroll of all the scrolls of the Old Testament books he could ask for. He asked for the scroll of Isaiah. And he takes the scroll of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a long book. It's a bunch, I don't know what that looked like. It's a giant scroll, right? And he's like, takes it, he unwraps it. I have no idea. But it, it, he skips the beginning, and he keeps unraveling. He skips the middle. He goes all the way to the very, near the very end, chapter 61. It's what we know it as in the book of Isaiah. And this is what he's going to say to begin his public ministry, first sermon, if you will. He says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. First words, public sermon, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me. He has empowered me. Everything that I'm about to do is by the power of the Spirit. Jesus was the most dependent, per dependent person of all time. See, earlier I, I, I said, okay, here's what helps me recognize my need for God. It's whenever uh, I aim to represent God in the interactions with others. That in the way I interact, I hope that they get a picture of what God is like. Man, I realize I can't do that without God's power. Or two, I aim to partner with God in what he's doing in the world. Well, friends, think about this. When it comes to Jesus, who you would think, again, and I would think, he would have the ability to do these two things by himself because, you know, he's God. Jesus 
in his ministry, his purpose of what he was doing in the world, he says, I have come that you would know what God is like. I mean, think about John chapter 1, verse 18, which says this. No one has ever seen God. I said John 1, verse 18, I think is what I meant. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus says, okay, yeah, I've come that you would actually know exactly what God is like. But I'm not going to do that on my own. I've got to depend on the Father and the Spirit to make that happen. And when it comes to aiming to partner with what God's doing in the world, what the Father, in this case, the Spirit's doing in this world, Jesus says, yeah, I'm, I'm fully partner of that. I'm, I've, you know, to use his own words, Luke 19.10, he says, I've come to seek and save the lost. This is why I've come. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. I'm here to partner with God and what he's doing in the world. The other members of the Trinity, what they're doing in the world. But I'm not going to do that on my own. I can't do that on my own. I'm, not, I'm dependent on the Father and the Spirit. Now here's what goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. If Jesus <laughs> needed to be dependent... In order to do those things, we do too. We do too, right? Of course. And Jesus knows that. That's why the night before he's going to be crucified, he gets his closest followers together with him. And we read about this in John chapter 15. He says, he says these words to them. He says, abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's in this statement, Jesus gives this just simple but just powerful picture of what dependence looks like. He says, hey, it's like this. This is how we're meant to work together. I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. That's a big statement for, for those who were from Israel. I don't have time to get into it. It's just a profound statement. Like, I've done what you all can't do. I'm the true vine. I'm the one who really brings life. He says, okay, I'm the true vine. You're like a branch. You need to be rooted in me. You need, you need to abide in me. You need to remain in me, dwell in me. You need to be with me, connected with me. And when you are, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. When we hear that, we think, okay, what do you mean I can do nothing? Well, he's specifically talking about you, can, you can't produce any fruit. Well, then, so what's, what's fruit in this context, right? It's kind of a big idea. Well, later on in this passage, a couple sentences later, verse 8, he, he gives us a little bit more explanation of what he means by fruit. Here's what he says in verse 8. He says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So in this, you get two ideas, two descriptions of what this fruit is. One, it's fruit that glorifies the Father. Okay? The second is that it's fruit that reveals that you're a follower of Jesus. That you do what Jesus does. That you are about what Jesus is about. That you look like Jesus. So you glorify God 
this fruit that glorifies the Father and shows that you're a follower of Jesus. Well, what does that? Well, if you, again, if you just want to go simple, simple as this. This fruit is a fruit of character. God's character being produced in you. It's where you actually inter, like, show people what God is like by how you interact with them. Or it's what Paul talks about in Galatians 5. And he just calls it the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and goodness and self-control. And this is fruit that nourishes others, because that's what fruit does, right? Nourishes others. And so this is fruit that's offered to others for the benefit of others that they can know God. It's partnering with God to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's partnered with God to help people know that God loves them and what he's done for them in Christ. This is fruit of character and it's fruit of mission that it offers God to others. Jesus says, that fruit, fruit that glorifies God, fruit that shows that you're my father, fruit that reveals God's character and how you interact with others, and fruit that partners with God to get the gospel to others. You cannot do that apart from me. You cannot do that apart from me. I brought a branch. This branch fell off the pecan tree in my front yard. Pecan trees lose branches all the time. I've learned that. My car has dents as a result. But this branch, uh, no matter how hard it tries, cannot produce a pecan. I mean, this branch, it can think about it. No, it can't. It's a branch. But let's pretend it can. And it can try. And it's, oh, I'm a branch. I'm going to make a pecan. You know, whatever branches do. Nothing is going to happen. We all know that. Jesus says that's how ridiculous we look. When we are trying to produce the fruit of his character and partner and, 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 and like significantly eternally impact others, apart from abiding in him. He says, you cannot do it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But he also gives us another promise, and it's a beautiful promise. It's a great promise in this passage. See, the promise of dependence here is that if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I mean, think about that. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Friends, that is a guarantee from the lips of Jesus. You can take that to the bank. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Friends, how often do we feel that sense of like, I just wish I could be more patient more gracious, more gentle, more kind, more loving. Jesus says, hey, hey, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And you want to be more loving towards those that are hard to love? You want to be more patient with your kids 
or your boss or your roommate? You want to be more gentle? You want to be more kind? Abide in Jesus. That is the only thing that will produce that fruit. And it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. That's the promise of dependence. I, I hope that we will believe that. And that it will help drive us to spend time with God, to abide in him. Because if you think about it, and I think this is the natural next question, is it's just, okay, if that's the promise of dependence, I see how important it is that I abide, abide in Christ. But it's fuzzy to me what that means. What does it look like? How do you, like, practically, I know I'm like a branch and he's a vine, but, like, I'm not actually a branch. And so I don't really know what branches do. Like, what, what does that look like? How does that? Well, <laughs> a couple things that are helpful to note. First is, when it comes to the word abide, when Jesus says, okay, abide in me, I abide in you, that word that he uses, the word abide, is, is you know, an imperative verb, right? Or to put it a different way, it's a command. It's a statement that we have a responsibility to do something to maintain or to remain abiding in Jesus. Like we, there's something we need to do in that. So, okay, well, what, is, what do we need to do? Well, to find out, it, it makes sense to go back to the most dependent person who ever lived and see what he did. How did he abide in the Father and the Spirit? And what we see in Jesus, friends, is that he made it his regular habit to spend time with the Father and the Spirit. To spend time with him. It, it's pretty it's, it's a simple concept, but you can boil it down to that. I mean, think about this. Um, like, Jesus begins his ministry, and he's going to try to do a whole lot in three years. You know, like, all right, let everyone know who he is, call, call disciples to follow him, train them up, die for the sins of the world, rise again, and then ensure that his followers are going to get that message to the ends of the earth generation after generation after generation. That is, that's a big deal, right? That's like, no, that, that doesn't sound easy. That's, that's going to take a lot of effort, and you're going to be real busy, Jesus. And what's Jesus do? How does he start things off? He gets away with the Father and the Spirit for 40 days to fast. That, I got a lot to do. What am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I can't do it on my own. I'm going to spend 40 days fasting. And then as Jesus begins his ministry, we see that that pattern continues. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this was his regular pattern. So much so that in Luke chapter 11, verse one, we're told this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Like, Lord, we see you do this so often. It's not like how we pray. Like, what's going on with you? Like, will you teach us to do that? See, this was Jesus' fundamental, primary, foundational way that he stayed dependent on the Father and the Spirit. 
He spent time with them, hearing from them and speaking to them. This year, um, shared this last week, but we, uh, as leaders of, of this church, the elders, women's leadership team, staff, MC leaders, huddle leaders, we've all talked about this. We believe that God is leading us, inviting us to do as a church, is to give special attention to helping us spend time with God. That this year, the thing that we really want to see happen, what we are praying for God to do, is to move in us corporately and individually to where we are spending more time with him, where we're developing a deeper, intimate, abiding relationship with God. And friends, if you look to Jesus, what you see is what that means on a practical, most foundational level is that it means that you would be spending time with him, hearing from him in his word, speaking to him in prayer, fasting, meditating. I mean, there's so many different ways. In fact, as a church, we, we're actually going to say it this way. What we really hope to see God do is that all of us would develop some spiritually healthy habits. Some healthy spiritual habits. Next, next week on Saturday at our uh, partner, uh, annual partner gathering or family gathering, uh, as well as next Sunday, we're going to talk a little bit more what, what that looks like practically. We've actually, as a, as a staff, we've kind of laid out 12 different potential habits. We're not asking all of y'all to develop all 12 of those. We're just trying to help you see that there's some different really healthy ways to spend time with God. And we would encourage you to pick one or two of those and start developing them this year that you would more fully abide in Christ. This is our big prayer because we need God, friends. We need him to do what he's called us to do. He created us to image him. We can't image him without his help. He's invited us to partner with him in what he's doing to save the world. We can't do that apart from him. We need him. And so let's abide in him. Let's depend on him. Let's spend time with him. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to talk more about that. But for now, this week... Here's what I would like to encourage you to do as we close. There's two things I want to ask you to do in light of all this. First thing is this. This week, will you evaluate if you're abiding in Jesus? Just evaluate that. If abiding in Jesus on a foundational level means spending time with him, are you abiding in Jesus? Like last week, did you abide in Jesus? Evaluate that. And then the second thing is, I really want to invite you, just like I did last week, but this is different. I want to ask you to pray a certain prayer. I want to ask you to pray this prayer. Jesus, grow a desire in me to spend time with you. Help me believe that you are the vine. I am a branch. And apart from you, I cannot bear fruit that glorifies the Father. I'll post this on our Instagram page or Facebook page. You can see that. You can take a picture of this now. But here's what I would really ask every one of y'all. I just invite you to pray this prayer at the beginning of your day. 
Whenever that is, students, that might be at 11 a.m. If you've got a really awesome schedule, that's okay. Just whenever your day begins, before you have that first cup of coffee or eat that breakfast or drive to work or walk to class, take a minute, pray this prayer that God would begin to grow in you a hunger to spend time with him as you realize your dependence on him. We're going to end now by taking communion as we do each Sunday. And as uh, we take communion, here's what I want to reiterate real clearly. Um, the, uh, as I said at the beginning of the message, we enter into a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. It's believing the promise that Jesus died on a cross for our sins as our payment to reconcile us to God. That's how we enter a relationship with him. When we take communion, that's what we are remembering and rejoicing in, that his body was broken for us and his blood was spilled for us to make the way for us to be with God. But friends, also, that will move you to want to spend time with him too, won't it? See, when you recognize that God has loved you to that degree and that you needed him to that degree, powerful, powerful driver to get you to spend time with him. So as you reflect by taking communion, tables in the front, tables in the back, it's open to everyone. We just ask that you place your faith in Christ alone, that you actually believe that what you're taking is really true. If you come and you take this, reflect on that. Jesus has loved you to this degree and you needed him to this degree and ask him to take that truth and drive it in your heart to where you are moved to want to spend time with the true vine. And as you will, you can trust that he's going to bear much fruit. Let's pray. Father God, we can, in our pride, think that we can do life without you or in our comfort of life, forget that we actually need you. God, we just confess that and we ask that you would drive this truth in our lives and we would believe Jesus that we are like a branch withered and fallen off the vine that cannot produce any fruit when we are not abiding in you. And God, as Jesus has promised us, when we abide in him, he abides in us and we will bear much fruit for your glory, God. We want that for your glory. We want that for the good of our city. We want that for the good of our families and friends and and for us, our own lives, God. Grow us in this area. And may you use what we're remembering as we take communion right now to drive that into our hearts, your love for us and our deep need for you to move us to want to spend time with you, our great Savior and King. Be honored now as we reflect and we rejoice and worship. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.